How many of you have a nativity scene like this at home? A few of you? We moved this summer, so it required finding some tubs to pull things out. In fact, I think parts of one of our nativity scenes is still missing. But we do have a fairly unique one sitting on our mantle. It was actually made for us by Ryan Cargill, son of Gary and Terry. It's made out of soapstone. Um, very cool, given to us years ago. But if you have a scene like this, you'll notice, um, maybe you see the animals a little differently this morning after hearing that poem. But you have Jesus with Mary and Joseph on either side. To the left, we have an angel and some shepherds. Of course, if you look closely, there's a donkey and a... There's not a dog in this one, but there is a sheep and a cow and a dove. And then off to the right, we have these guys in robes with camels bearing gifts. And this is, um, for many of us, one of the more memorable scenes from Scripture, um, one that we grow up with, again, one that many of us have in our homes. And yet, it's wrong. Some of us know that those three guys in the robes and the camels, they really don't belong there. We don't know if the animals were there or not. We sing about these three kings. We call them wise men. But they weren't actually at the stable. They weren't actually looking into the manger. We clued them in the scene because though they weren't actually there at the manger, they are a part of the larger story. And that reality that these foreigners stand there in the stable by Jesus This morning, if we'll pay attention, gives us a a sense of God's love, of how God loves, of who God is, and of who we are. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 2. Of course, Matthew and Luke tell the the account of the birth of Jesus. They're familiar passages. Uh, But this morning, Matthew 2, we want to consider these, we'll call them sign-following men, uh, for a few moments together. We want to pay close attention to what they tell us about God and and about our place in the story as well. So this is from the beginning of Matthew chapter 2. We read that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is uh, the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These are probably familiar words, just like that nativity scene is a familiar scene for many of us. Uh, But this, if you'll notice, is after Jesus is born. We don't know how much time after. We get some hints later on in the text. Uh, But after Jesus was born, these magi come on the scene. And we notice that 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 word magi maybe sounds a little familiar to some, some words we use. Probably didn't say magi this week unless you were talking about the Christmas story. Uh, But this word, magi, comes from Greek. If you care, it's magos. It's where we get the word magic. It speaks a little bit to who these gentlemen were, these people who came from the east seeking this one born, the king of the Jews. Now, that word, magos in Greek, by the way, actually comes from an even older word I won't try to pronounce. It sounds kind of like it with some more syllables on the end that uh, comes from uh, very ancient Persian. And it was actually a title given to often these priests of these ancient religious sects, sort of like a Zoroastrianism. And so these magi likely coming from the area we now know as Iran or Iraq, possibly southern Turkey, maybe Saudi Arabia, somewhere in the east. By the way, in most of the time in Scripture when we read of something coming from the east, it's often not good. And yet here it's a different story. We might call them astrologers. 
today. But in their day, astrology and astronomy were both part of the leading science. And so in their studies, apparently they were following the patterns of the stars, watching for signs. Now we also know these magi were wealthy. Almost certainly they were very wealthy given the gifts that they bring with them. By the way, it's these, these costly gifts that we are told of that sometimes uh, cause us to think they were kings. Also, the three gifts are often where the three kings come from. We don't know how many there were. It is a plural word, magi. We don't know how many they were. We just know they brought uh, these gifts that were costly. Because of their work, they were probably held in high esteem, not only in their uh, own society, but because of their diplomatic wisdom, their religious studies, uh, their considered scientific knowledge. They're respected enough that here they arrive in Jerusalem and they're given court with King Herod and to his priests. They come asking, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? And again, they ask this because they've been watching for signs and they've seen something. They've seen an unusual new star in the sky. And somehow they knew that it told of the birth of this special king in Israel. Now, no one knows for sure what this star in the sky was. There's some who think it was a comet, uh, supernova, conjunction of planets in certain alignment, maybe something supernatural. But we know they saw something in the sky, and it tipped them off. It was a sign. And apparently these magi, even though they came from the east, probably from greater Persia, they knew of the prophecy of this special Jewish savior, also called Messiah, who would be born as king. Likely this was passed down to them, in fact, because when uh, hundreds, of years early, hundreds of years earlier, uh, the Jews were taken over uh, by other kingdoms and brought to Babylon, probably those stories stayed behind after they were there and got passed down. So we refer to them again as the three kings sometimes because of these gifts. Their gifts were frankincense. Uh, frankincense has nothing to do with Frankenstein. It's actually incense that you use in worship. They brought myrrh, which interestingly is a, a perfume used in embalming. Some think these gifts were significant, uh, pointing to who Jesus would be. And they brought gold, which of course is expensive and fit for a king. But we don't know why they brought these gifts. We don't know if they held significance specifically to the Magi or if that's just what they brought. We only know that Matthew refers to them as treasures, speaking of their costly value. And speaking of that value, these men, again, we know there's more than one, almost certainly came with quite an entourage because to travel that distance, certainly with that kind of wealth, would have entailed quite a bit of danger. So you would have brought quite a group of people along with you, sort of a caravan coming across the desert to protect what they carried on this important journey. Traveling the other way would be dangerous and foolish. So they come into town and they cause a stir. It's interesting, rather than excitement, with this news they bring, there's concern. Again, if you turn to Matthew, if we continue in verse 3, what does it tell us? It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. It wasn't, they were jubilant, they were excited at long last. They were disturbed. 
when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. By the way, this is interesting. Again, you would think if they were watching, they would have known this. They, of course, refer to Micah. They say in Bethlehem and Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. If you know the story, you know that wasn't his intention. Now, being disturbed is a peculiar response to these foreigners coming coming and heralding uh, this king who's long been awaited being born. But notice Herod, uh, this man of power, working in secrecy, calls this meeting to find exactly when this star appeared, instructed these magi to come back with that specific information once they found him. And then a few verses later, we find out the reason for Jerusalem's concern And also we get a hint for possibly how old Jesus might have been at this point. Or at least how long they've been tracking the star. The wise men are warned in a dream not to return to Herod. After worshiping, they leave gifts and they return by a different route. But notice down in verse 16 how Herod responds. It says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. This is pretty gruesome. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. So again, we get a hint here of maybe how much time has passed since Jesus' birth. But what are these mysterious wise men, misplaced in our manger scenes like this, what do they tell us about God and about our place in His story? Well, a couple things I would point out. First, God reveals His truth to those far and wide. Oftentimes, not just to the people we consider to be His, but to others as well. In fact, we are told that creation itself reveals God to us. Paul wrote of this to the Romans, saying, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen and understood from His workmanship. The idea is creation so that men are without excuse. God speaks revealing himself to all men. And these signs are all around us if only we look for them. In fact, I wonder this week if looking around somehow in the world around you, you saw reminders of God's nature and God's goodness. Because they're there. They're there. In Psalm 19, we, write, we read that the heavens declare the glory of God and even the sky proclaims His handiwork. There's this reality, it's this reminder embedded in this story that God has left signs for us pointing to Himself. Often it isn't a church service or it isn't where we would expect it to be that we discover God is there, that we notice the signs God's left for us. For the Magi, it was a star confirming a very old promise, a sign as strange as it might seem to us so powerful for them that they left their homeland on this long, treacherous journey, carrying with them gifts of great value to find this king 
and to give him the worship. I also want to point out that these magi left without all of the information, without all the details. They had blanks that needed to be filled in. They followed the part they knew, trusting that the rest would be filled in for them. They knew enough to travel to Jerusalem to ask questions, and this was, by the way, quite an undertaking to travel to Jerusalem. They didn't know the Scriptures too well, or they would have known to go to Bethlehem. And yet they left in expectation. Questions still lingering. The sign being enough to make the journey. Imagine if, if they hadn't left because the blanks weren't filled in. The story would be slightly different. They stepped out in what we might call faith. That's what it looks like. We go with the part we see, the part that God's revealed that we've recognized, even though we don't have all the blanks filled in. In fact, throughout the story of Scripture, again and again, that's what those who would follow God are called to. Abraham is called to leave his home to a place he doesn't know. Moses is called to lead, even though he knows he's not up to the task and has no idea how it will work out. Fishermen are called to follow Jesus, having no idea where he's going to lead them. Again and again, God calls people to respond to the signs, to respond to what they know, even when the blanks aren't filled in. That's what faith looks like. Likewise, God calls you and I to respond to the part that we see, even when it seems like there's lots of blanks, lots of questions. This is the essence of faith. Essence of faith. And this is what the Magi remind us of. They remind us that God reveals Himself even to those who may seem as outsiders to foreigners who probably practiced a different religion altogether. God reveals Himself to them. Maybe this morning you feel like the outsider. God reveals Himself to people like us. They remind us that God again calls us to act in faith, to respond to the part that we do see, even as we're seeking answers along the journey, following the bit that we know. But the Magi also reveal to us that God wants those whom we might overlook or write off even to be central participants in His story. Consider these strange, mysterious men who we too have so many questions about. They're astrologers, again from a foreign land, probably practicing a pagan religion, and yet they're important enough to God that He uses them as a vital part of the gospel story. They weren't an unimportant side note. And as I think about this, you know, we heard earlier about the shepherds and how they're announcing uh, and people are astonished and amazed at their message. There likely were others who sought out Jesus in Bethlehem. There were likely others who found this couple and this baby who we aren't told about. And yet we are told of these foreigners who seem not to fit the bill at all. It's actually rather fitting that these magi are awkwardly a part of our manger scene because they remind us that they don't seem to belong. And yet they're still a central part of God's story. Though they may seem displaced, even odd, God chose them to be central in the way He told the good news. Their place in the Christmas story is similar to our place in God's story. Isn't it true that so often we might feel out of place, we might 
feel odd. We might wonder how we fit in to what God's doing. And yet we see that very idea in the Christmas story. Uh, Paul wrote these words of how God chooses to work in our world and who he chooses to work through. This is writing to the Corinthians, who, by the way, thought pretty highly of themselves. He writes, saying, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. I'm encouraged by this because maybe you relate to this sometimes. I don't feel like I quite measure up or don't see how I would be useful in God's story. And yet the encouragement is, it isn't just the people who are most eloquent or come from the right pedigree or have the right education or whatever it is we might think fits the bill that God chooses to use. In fact, so often it's the opposite. In the Christmas story, we're reminded of that by these magi who seem, when you really get down to it, not to fit the story very well, and yet there they are. God, the creator of all humanity, chose to create each one of us in the image of God as intended participants in God's story. The Magi remind us that God's love knows no limits, no borders, and God chooses even the least expected. And that same God invites you and me to be partners today in His redemptive work. The wise men, the Magi, remind us that God is constantly calling people like us to Himself in various ways, often not ways we would predict. They remind us that ours is to watch for God's signs and to respond. Hebrews tells us that though in the past God spoke through different prophets in many ways, the ultimate word, the ultimate sign of God's love for us and God's faithfulness towards us is the person of Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we celebrate. To watch for signs of God to respond. Like the Magi headed on a journey to respond, seeking to worship God, even though they knew very little of this God they were going to worship. I want to just go back to Matthew 2 and read part of this story and what these Magi did and how they responded, thinking of their background and who they were. This is after they meet with Herod. Verse 9 of Matthew 2, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And it's fascinating how they respond. It says they 
fell down and worshipped Him. They fell down and worshipped Him. Then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The fascinating thing about this is there's nothing to suggest that these, for example, were people of any sort of Jewish background or understanding other than this promise. These were people who really didn't know much of the story. And yet here they are falling down before Jesus and worshiping and bringing these expensive gifts. It's a reminder to us that ours is to respond to the signs. Ours is to respond to where we see God at work, even when we might be full of questions. And so this morning I would ask as we prepare to celebrate Christmas together, I know probably many of us have quite a to-do list between now and Wednesday. You're shaking your head, no, that is good. That's good. But the question is, what are the signs in our lives where we recognize God's love and God's goodness? Maybe the other question is, are we watching? Because it's so easy not to. It's so easy to just go. But perhaps it's the people in your life. We're going to be around some of those people, many of us this week. Are they reminders of God's love to you and God's goodness? Maybe it's in this room, one another, and and those who have upheld you and encouraged you. Do you see God at work? Are you watching for God at work? Maybe it's simply God's provision. Do we recognize that as not just a paycheck, but as something that finds its source in God and His provision for us? You know, ultimately, we have a sign on the church of a cross, right? That's a pretty universal thing. It's a reminder, isn't it? That even as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we recognize this wasn't just the birth of a king. This wasn't just the birth of one to come and rule. This was the birth of a Savior. We're reminded that God's love for us came at great cost. That Jesus gave His life for our sin. And even though we may not have all the blanks filled in, we're invited to respond to that reality. And maybe a better question than are you watching is really what are you watching? Because the reality is we're probably following something, often blindly, often unaware. But are, you, are, are we following God's signs or are we tuned into something else? I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's some politics stuff going on right now. It's really easy to get sucked into that. It's not that it doesn't matter, but don't get too tuned into those voices. You begin to follow a political party one way or the other or whatever it is. Because there is this question of of what are we watching? Who are we watching for? Are our eyes on where God's leading us or are they on the noise and the things surrounding us? Because it's always there. The wise men's exchange with Herod And the priest reminds us that we're all following something. It isn't an issue of following or not following, but rather who or what are we following. It appears that Herod's following is ambition. The priests appear to at least be tacitly following Herod, likely even knowing that it's not the right thing to do. As are the people of Jerusalem, even though they themselves are waiting for this promised king. 
this morning, how would God invite you to respond to the signs that He's left for you? Are you watching for God's leading and the way God's speaking to you this morning? And do you see that when we respond to God, like these magi who are unexpected, often too we find ourselves as participants in God's story, don't we? Let's pray together. Father, may we be reminded when we see nativity scenes of the invitation to be a part of your story, even if we feel like we're outsiders or foreigners. May we be reminded that ours is to follow you and the signs that you give in the Scriptures and in Christ and your provision. And Father, where we have blanks that we want so desperately to have filled in, would those not stop us? Would you give us faith to continue on the journey even with those questions, continuing to watch for your leading and your signs in our lives? Thank you for your love. Thank you for what we celebrate at Christmas, that you came not to condemn, but to save. That we celebrate you're with us and you're for us. And Christ died for us, that we could be with you. God, may we not be lost in that with the trees and the gifts and the meals and all the things to come this week. But may we have eyes to be watching listening for what you're saying, where you're leading. We ask in Christ's name, amen.